Hello, everybody. Um, this is this is Al from Phantom Correspondence, and y'all, y'all, it's it finally happened. It's October, and with October comes the wonderful annual event that I like to do for Phantom Correspondence called Horror Fest, where me and my good friends here at Phantom Correspondence just talk about horror stuff and talk about our opinions on horror stuff, how it's affected us, how it hasn't affected us, and just think way too hard about these wild films made on, like, $3 in the 80s and 70s. <laughs> um, but um, to help me do that um, this this fine evening um, or morning or midday, wherever you might be, um, I've got the illustrious, wonderful fandom correspondent. Um, I've got Josh the Wise Sage, and how are you today, Josh? I'm doing great. I'm. It's you know, it's Christmas for Al. You know, let, let's do this. You know, I'm I'm ready to celebrate horror and and all the things that come with Halloween with you this entire month, Al. Uh, and I am I am so glad you're willing to do that because I mean I'll be honest, everybody. Um, I owe Josh a lot for Horror Fest because without him, I'd just be I'd just be rambling into a void, just kind of talking to myself <laughs> on these things. So it's good to it's good to have somebody here with me. Um, it's good to have someone else to stare into the void with you. That's what it is. Exactly, exactly. So when it it stares back, we can just be like, oh man, that was weird. We should yeah, exactly. Go get some, we should go get some Jimmy Jones or something. <laughs> um, so um, um, now what we're doing? We did Horror Fest last year. We're doing a similar kind of thing this year. We're just kind of talking about horror films. Um, Specifically, horror films. I wanted to do ones that have um, have had a big influence on um, the genre, on the industry, on pop culture in general. Um, so we're touching on a bunch of different subgenres, a bunch of different types of horror, um, spanning a bunch of different decades. So it's going to be a blast. Um, now, um, fret not, my more old, uh, my more lighthearted friends. Uh, horror is not all we're doing this month. Uh, we're also doing a collection of other stuff. Uh, we're doing some some podcasts on the show The Challenge uh, that's being done by Josh right here, as well as our wonderful family correspondent, uh, Jenny. Uh, they do a great job with those. I've never seen a second of The Challenge, but I'm still entertained when I listen <laughs> to those episodes. So it's so uh, that's spectacular. Uh, we're doing some videos. Um, if the fates have it um in for us that was an awkward way to say that but um, if the will of sam hayne allows this october i think we're going to finish out um the emnt films uh which we've been um slugging through for a while um so we got all kinds of stuff happening but um right now we're going to talk about horror fest and we're going to talk about when you talk about iconic horror films when you talk about the movies that have made an influence not just on the industry and how the genre has developed but also just um how it's affected pop culture and communities in general um one film you have to talk about is 1973's the exorcist um the exorcist is actually one um i kind of wanted to do last year but there wasn't really a good slot or junction to talk about it so i'm glad we're doing it this year we're kicking it off with a heavy hitter um and the reason why i'm kind of taking the lead on this one in particular is that um 
horror nerds have been talking about The Exorcist ever since The Exorcist came out. Um, it's been almost a full 50 years since um, the movie premiered, and, and weirdos like me who like the macabre and the weird and the occult have been talking at length about uh, this kind of crap for forever. So I thought it'd be interesting if we get the perspective of someone um, whose interests and background are relevant to the topic um, and the movie, uh, but have kind of uh, probably a different thing to say and perhaps a perspective that people haven't heard as much. Um, so that's why I'm interviewing primarily Josh about this situation. Josh, for anyone who doesn't know, has a background um, in biblical theology. Um, he has um, a degree and has done graduate work um, in the field as well. So um, I can't think of anybody who has um, more relevant yet more rare and intriguing th things to say about a movie about um, the, the how do you say, the pitfalls yet some of the glorification of the practice of exorcism um, in Christian <laughs> religion. Um, so that's why I've got Josh here with me and why I'm taking the lead. Josh, I'm really excited um, to talk about this. Um, is there anything that you'd like to share with um, and the listeners about kind of where you're coming from as far as background goes or what your familiarity is with the exorcist, anything like that. You know, it, it, it's really intriguing when, when I was re, when I was rewatching this movie, I've probably only seen this movie and this is different. Probably seen this movie. This is probably the third time I've watched this movie. Um, simply because I'm not, I don't know this, this movie's different because, you know, I remember last year we talked about like horror icons, you know, like Freddie and Jason, stuff like that. And they were kind of always in your face when I was growing up, like they were always there, but the exorcist was kind of like, like whispered and in, in back corners, you know, it was kind of this movie that was like, you know, that it wasn't as glorified, but everybody knew about it, but you didn't talk about it, but it was kind of, cause like, you know, I mean, in the early nineties, we're still kind of in this, this era where, you know, the, there's a, you know, there's a real, you know, conservative Christian output a grouping of people that are really trying to censor things. And the exorcist kind of both suffered and thrived in that because it was this movie that was really dealing with a, really dealing with a concept that, um, just is uncomfortable to talk about for a lot of people, you know, which is, it, you know, yeah, demons and stuff like that, but, you know, this movie in a lot of ways is about faith and about, you know, <laughs> is, is faith real and does it matter and it does it work? And these are all these kind of like concepts that people don't want to deal with. And I think what's interesting about this movie, Al, is me and you are going to have, you know, like the, the, the experience I have with The Exorcist is going to be the experience you have with The Conjuring only flipped. Because whereas like you're kind of disdainful about the conjuring because of it's like, you know, it's based on a couple of liars and things like that. I'm kind of disdainful about the exorcist because I have to deal with demonology based off of what people know about the exorcist, mm. uh, not based off what people know about the Bible. So, you know, there's, I, it's going to be interesting for us to talk about it because of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Honestly, that's kind of the dynamic uh, I was kind of planning on. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, another interesting dynamic that's going to be at play here is that um, um, to be as, as sensitive about, about the topic um, as I can, um, um, I grew up in the Christian church. Um, I was raised in a Christian family. I continued with that into adulthood. Um, 
Um, I have, however, become a bit more of a skeptic about certain things. Um, I don't really um, believe in the presence of demons, don't really believe in the effects of the occult. Um, so I think that's going to be kind of an interesting uh, kind of dynamic there as well to see where we uh, with each other kind of land on some of the themes and some of the influence uh, that the exorcist has had. Um, now, uh, for anybody who doesn't know a lot about The Exorcist, I do encourage everyone to go and watch the movie before you listen to this, because for one thing, um, I mean, it's one of the greatest horror movies of all time. <laughs> it's, it's worth watching even almost 50 years later. Um, uh, but also, it's really something that should be experienced and um, enjoyed or abhorred, however you watch it. Um, uh, without a lot of info um, about it. Uh, try to go in as clean and blind as you can. But uh, for anybody who doesn't know a whole lot about it or, or kind of needs a refresher, it's been a few years. Um, the Exorcist wasn't really the first of religious horror films or spiritual horror films. Um, demonic possession um, horror, it's called sometimes. Um, it wasn't the first, but it, it it's by far been the most influential of the subgenre. Um, it came out in '73. It was based on um, it was based on a book before it was adapted to screen. And um, The Exorcist shook the world. I mean, there really wasn't any other way to say it. People were standing in lines outside the movie theater, well into the street, um, to buy tickets to watch this thing. I mean. The things it did for horror, the things it did for practical effects, all the way back in 73. I mean, you have to think, 73 is predating Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's predating um, Halloween. It's predating um, the entire 80s uprising of gore and practical effects that we saw. Um, so this is really one of the earliest heavy-hitting horror films. Um, a lot of the critics at the time were saying that this is the scariest film that's ever been made. Um, so we're going to talk about that. And the reason why I wanted to lead in with that background is kind of my first question for you, Josh, is that here, almost 50 years after the fact, with all its illustrious history, with all of its horrific controversy and reputation that it has, uh, do you think The Exorcist, having recently seen it, uh, do you think The Exorcist still holds up today? Oh yeah, well yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's um, you know, it's, it's funny. The you you, you bring up a, a lot of thoughts. I was thinking about the Exorcist when I was watching it. You know, this is almost like a a a BCAD kind of horror movie in in the sense of like there's horror movies before it and there's horror movies after it. You know, you mm. don't really, sure. in my opinion, you don't really get something like Silence of the Lambs, uh, which I mean I know some people want kids heard a horror movie, but you know where I'm coming from. But you don't sure. really get a movie like that without the Exorcist. You know, um, because The Exorcist is really, uh, you know, probably one. Of, it's probably one of the best paced movies I've ever seen as far as just the general, just how how things work. You know, you start off in, in, a, in a rock. You don't know what in the world's going on. You have this weird, you know, kind of this, this weird shadowy, uh, you know, uh, statue that's overseeing everything and. Uh, that, you know, Max von Sydow is doing this really good job of, you know, kind of being this 
you don't know at the time, but I mean, he's a priest with the world on his shoulders. And like, just it, it, the, the pacing of that just into what's about to happen is really good. You get this one really, I've never noticed it before, but like this one really interesting scene where they find the Ouija board and mm-hmm. like uh, Ellen Burstyn's, uh, you know, Miss McNeil goes to, goes to touch it. And it like the, the, the thing just flies away from her. And I'd never really noticed how they, and I still don't know how they did that. Like, I still don't like, cause like there's, if there's a wire, you can't see it. You know, it just, it just like, it just like shoves itself away. It's just really cool. Like little stuff like that, that they do that kind of, um, you know, really leads up to this, this massive uh, confrontation at the end. Um, and, and so, yeah, it holds up. Uh, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot, uh, that I could see that is scarier uh, than this movie. Um, I would also say this is also the first time that horror was trying to make you uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. Like as far as, you know, like you go, like before this, you got like Psycho, you know, and everything. And like, you know, Psycho for, for all of its, for and I love Psycho, don't get me wrong, but like, you know, Psycho's very much a, a trying to hit you with jump scares kind of movie. You know, like it's, you know, it's this shower scene. It's Balsam uh, going up the stairs and getting stabbed. It's the turnaround and you see the skeleton and it's, you know, it, th- that, that kind of thing. You know, this is the type of movie where, like, there are scenes that are there just to make you uncomfortable. Like the, the, the arteriogram uh, scene is still, in my opinion, the hardest scene to get through in the whole movie. For sure. And there's no reason to have that scene except to make you uncomfortable because that scene, that entire scene could literally just been like, well, we tried an arteriogram and we didn't see anything. You know, we tried a spinal tap and we didn't see anything. And Friedkin is intentional on putting that stuff in there because he wants to set you up for this just really, by the time you get to this movie, you're just kind of a puddle of just like, what else are they going to show me? Like, what, am I, what else am I going to have to go through in this movie? Um, and so like, that's, that's really, in a lot of ways what stands up because it's the first of its movie to try that. And no, no movie, no American movie, American made movie has ever really topped it as far as that's concerned. You know, I mean, you take something, I mean, you, even the, even the people that are actively trying that, like, you know, Eli Roth of Hostel or whatever, it's still just one of those things where like something happens and you forget it. And this movie, everything builds up to this just you know, just horrific ending. And I don't know, like, I, it, it, yeah, it, that's a long way to answer, but yeah, it, it, it stands up, dude. It, it definitely, it, it definitely has stood the test of time. Um, and I think, I think the fact that people are still trying to top it uh, and trying to do their own twist on, on this, you know, on this, on this uh, type of movie on, you know, your demonology your possession movies or, um, you know, however, you, whatever you want to call it, um, the fact that people are still trying to do that, you know, shows that you know they're they're still trying to live up to the king, which is the Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. Uh, whenever you think about horror films and how they seek to accomplish the horror that they're trying to incite, you think about the different techniques they might use, or they you think about the different approaches they might use. Is it going to be more atmospheric? Is it going to be more um, jump scare in your face are they going to try to disturb or unsettle you um, and and it's wild because uh, the exorcist feels like a movie that kind of has something for it has something for everybody as far as as far as the spectrum of horror goes um, it starts out very atmospheric you have the um, 
Um, and honestly, well into the film, it's still very atmospheric. You have the iconic um, shot of the priest showing up at the house, um, a shot that's been has been ripped off of and recreated and paid homage to over <laughs> the 50 years since it uh, was shot originally. Um, but then you have very in-your-face stuff. You have the vomit scene. You have the um, the blood draw scene that you talked about. Um, um, you have stuff that's just grotesque. You have stuff that you kind of have to th think about after you see it to really understand it, and that understanding kind of lets the fear in. Um, it's one of those rare movies that, again, I think kind of has something for everybody as far as the spectrum of horror goes, um, which you really don't see um, very often um, ever since um, the movie was made. There have been movies who tried to do that kind of smorgasbord um, of horror approaches, but oftentimes it's just not executed as well. Um, um, yeah, now, um, now, for the theme of the movies, I wanted to talk about this here. I wanted to focus in on how influential some of the movies are, not just for the industry, but also for pop culture as a whole. And when you talk about The Exorcist, um, The Exorcist set industry standards um, in horror films. Um, after we got The Exorcist, Hollywood realized, oh, I think... I think people are willing to talk about some of the more taboo religious stuff um, that's out there. And so after The Exorcist, you see we get The Omen. You see we get uh, The Sentinel. We see all of these other religious horror films or spiritual horror films come up that touch on either religious topics or occult topics. And um, that was really a big thing. Um, it was a big thing when this film got greenlit for a sequel. I mean, that was something that really wasn't that common um, in films in general, but also in horror films back then. Um, you didn't see that very often. And so you saw that begin first in 73 and then the follow-up Exorcist 2 in 77. And then you see that trend continue. The Omen gets a sequel film. And then you get um, the slasher films have, have a bunch of sequels coming up behind them, some of them very quickly. Um, it said standards in the industry, but it also said standards and had some play in pop culture as well. Um, the Exorcist is almost kind of a lightning in a bottle situation where the timing of it is so interesting for so many other things that happened around that time. Came out in 73. By 1981, 1982, America is in full-blown <laughs> um, satanic panic type of, you know, the devil is in everything. The devil's in Dungeons and Dragons. The devil's in, in rock and roll. The devil's in cigarettes. The devil's in everything. Um, and it's kind of hard when you're trying to analyze this wave of satanic panic that happened. It's kind of hard to analyze that and not draw at least one thread back to the exorcist. Um, and we still see its effects now. I mean, the exorcist, what we see of how exorcisms are done and how possession happened in the exorcist, that influenced, you know, things as recent as, as you know, the show Supernatural. Um, I mean, how they conduct exorcisms in the first few seasons of that, of that show, straight out of the page of the script of the exorcist film. Um, that being said, 
Um, I've got some facts and some trivia for you. I want to spit at you real quick just before I give you the prompt for your next question. Um, Josh, did you know that coordinating with the release of The Exorcist, 1974 to 1976, saw the greatest spike in reported cases of demonic possession in America than any other time period before or since? I did yeah. actually know that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, um, not a shock. Not a shocker. It's, it's not shocking. It makes sense when you consider how successful the movie was. Um, what's also successful or what's also interesting is that a lot of the details from the reported cases, how much that tends to line up with a lot of details in The Exorcist. Uh, people claiming, you know, beds would rise and shake. People claiming that um, previously very passive, very chill people would break out into obscenities and say really offensive and startling things, even to the point that when exorcisms were done on some of these reported cases, the names of the demons that would be kind of extracted from the, you know, the quote unquote victims of the cases would be strikingly similar to the name of the demon in the exorcist. It'd usually be some some kind of foreign sounding word. It usually involves, you know, a couple of Z sounds. Um, a lot of those kinds of details would line up. Um, so my question to you, Joshua, with your background in, in biblical theology, with your background in, in serving in the church and serving with various age groups in the church, um, do you think that this kind of wave of interest in the occult and in what demons are and how demonology works, do you think that that kind of pop culture occultism is something that people should be worried about when it comes to how horror movies are written and executed? Um, is that a real cultural thing that you should... Uh, that you should think about or do you think it's overblown or somewhere in between what's your thoughts on that so are, are you are you asking if i think there's some type of responsibility of the people that make the movies to you know to to kind of uh watch you know to to kind of be wary that this could cause mass hysteria is that what you're asking y yes so i'm asking that and then i'm also asking kind of on the reaction side of it do you think that it's worth people being concerned about some of the themes or some of the things that come up in these horror films. Do you think that that people should be worried about those kinds of things uh, leading to some kind of occultism or uptick in Satanism or anything like that? Uh, kind of where are the lines there, do you think? Okay, so here's, here's the... Here's I, one thing is I'm very glad you pointed out this this movie. You can trace a satanic panic back this movie. I mean, no, before this, in my opinion, you know, I, you, somebody might go come up with a statistic or whatever, you know, or something to, or some random preacher in the South who said something maybe. But 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 before this, you did not see people that were like scared of Ouija boards. You didn't see people that were you know, scared of calling in demons into yourself, okay? This was not a thing that existed because it was not a thing that existed in the Bible. There's no place in the Bible where, for example, someone finds a relic 
you know, and then like <laughs> demons come out of that. that. That's not a thing that happens. Right. Um, you know, all of your cases of quote unquote possession in the Bible are literally person meets demon meets Jesus. Demon goes away. Demon meets Paul. Demon goes away. You know, there are these instances of more power, the power, the 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 powers on the side of the Christian. It's, it's there to show the power that Paul has. They're more, more so to show the power that Christ has. Um, you just don't have these, these, these moments of like demons coming into children, you know, or whatever, or even if you do have them, like there's, there's one instance where in the Bible, where a centurion comes up to, uh, to Jesus and says, uh, "My, uh, I have a servant who continues. He has a demon. He keeps throwing himself into the fire." And Jesus doesn't even like, like, like he goes, "Okay, take me to him." And the centurion goes, "No, I know if if you if you want to cast out demon, you can do it right here." And Jesus is like, "Yeah, you're right. I can go home. Everything's fine." And he goes home, and everything's fine. Like we look at that now. Most modern scholars look at that and go, "Okay, there was some type of like." you know, some type of, of, you know, spastic issue, some type of, you know, some, some type of issue that uh, made the made the child do that and Jesus cured him of it. You know, that's how we look at it now. Right. Um, these cases of demons actually meeting with a meeting with a person who casts them out only twice in the Bible. You've got the, the legion who gets cast into the pigs. Uh, that's a famous story where Jesus is like, you know, he's like, you know, leave this man. And the legion's like, hey, we really want to go into these pigs. And he's like, fine, go into the pigs. And the pigs run off a cliff, okay? Then you've got another story where a little girl supposedly has a demon and keeps walking around and, and bugging Paul. And finally, Paul says, you're cured because he's sick and tired of hearing her, which is a hilarious story, by the way. <laughs> he's sick and tired of hearing her. And he's like, you're cured. And then she's cured. And then all these these people that were exploiting her get angry at Paul and try to get him kicked out of town because they've ruined, she was like a fortune teller and like, you know, she did weird stuff. So she had, she probably had an issue and Paul cures her. And then, you know, but that's literally it. Those are the only two possession stories in the Bible. So what you have then is like no one, no one before the exorcist is taking those two stories and creating entire theologies around it. Okay. And so what you have after the exorcist that happens is that you have people taking the exorcist and literally applying it to their day-to-day -day life so that literally there are demons everywhere and you have to deal with demons. You have to, you know, you, you have to watch out because could there be a demon in this, you know? Uh, so like, okay, you know, Dungeons and Dragons created by, created by an evangelical Christian, by the way, but Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Well, could you invite demons into you by, you know, pretending you are doing magic and everything. Okay, well, there's a way you can invite demons in. All this stuff happens directly from the exorcist. You know, now, is that William Friedkin's fault? Eh, no, because it, because like, because in my opinion, that so in my opinion, and this is, this is going to be the most controversial thing that's said here, okay? American Christianity is, its entire existence, Christianity's entire existence in America has been to, has been not to influence the culture, but to glom onto the culture and bend the culture to its will. And mm -hmm. so when you see that with the exorcist, that's what they're doing. They're taking something that's popular and using it to, you know, further their own designs. And it and 
you know, it worked and didn't work in a way that made Christians any stronger. It didn't work in a way that, you know, made anyone's spirituality better or made anyone's spiritual health better. And in some ways made anyone's mental health better, but I'll let you speak more to that. But it did work in the sense that, man, it got a lot of people in churches. You know, you talk about the satanic panic, you know, I mean, that leads to, you know, all these moments where like people are taking Ozzy Osbourne uh, to court. People are taking the, the members of Slayer to court. You know, you have all these issues that are happening um, and everyone gets scared because demons are going to make people kill somebody like Reagan did in, in The Exorcist. So you have all these issues that run from that um, that happens and that is the biggest influence on, to this day, that's the biggest influence on demonology uh, uh, and, and the church. You know, we still haven't come out of it. I mean, you know, Al, if you to if you remember, you know, two or was it two years ago that on my Facebook I was I was accused of being influenced <laughs> by the demon Leviathan. I mean, that, that, that's that's yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Happy birthday, you know? Josh. Yeah, exactly. That was on my birthday too, which was really hilarious. But I'm saying like that that's still a thing here. My now to answer your question about the responsibility, what I would be interesting to you. See, I think. Where this movie really, in my opinion, crosses a line and where, to me, it's almost a little mean-spirited and almost a little, um, just goes a little too far, in my opinion, is that, and and, and I realize why they have to do it, They because ha- they have to create this drama, okay? They have to create this, is she possessed or is she not? But until, until Reagan does the backwards crab walk down the stairs mm-hmm. up until that point. Correct me if I'm wrong. Every one of her symptoms, well, I guess the bed, but, but anyway, other than the bed, every one of her symptoms is, could easily be, you know, a, something, some type of psychological disorder. Am I wrong on that? No, no, I'd say you're right about that. And that, that to me is where it was dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. that to me is where, the movie is dangerous because how many people watch this movie, you know, and said, well, you know, my child is having these issues where, you know, she's up and down, you know, she's really happy one moment. She's really down another moment. Sometimes she's sweet. Sometimes she's yelling obscenities at me, you know, which are just, you know, straight, you know, bipolar Tourette's types cases, you know, how many how many people watched that and then said, okay, well, they've got a demon in them? Because I mean, it, I remember I remember one time, man, 10, 12 years ago, and I told I remember telling my mom, you need to leave, leave that alone. Mom went to one of these church services in Owensboro, where they were literally, and this is this is an actual thing that happened, throwing up demons, you know. Yeah. And I'm There's- just I'm just I'm just thinking to my but one, once again. That's directly from The Exorcist. That's that's directly there. Yeah, the and I remember soup. thinking even... I'm sorry? <laughs> I said, yeah, the scene with the pea soup. But, uh, but uh, well, well, but see, okay, yeah, you're right, but it's more than that. So, like, when when um, when when he places the... Uh, the It's not a robe. What is it? The, the aspect. When he places the aspect on her head and right. she just starts throwing up all over it, 
Mm-hmm. I mean that. I mean that. That's that's literally what they were doing. You know, they were they. You know, the the Christ and Christ and the demon can't exist. So you got to throw up the demon once again, even though that's not in the Bible anywhere. But like you know, that kind of stuff is where to me it becomes a little bit irresponsible. You know, now I'm not saying there's no way William Friedkin could have predicted that. There's no way uh, William Blatty is it, is it, it is Blatty right? right? Yes. William Peter right. Blatty. That there's no way they could have predicted this. Okay, you know, I'm I'm not saying they could have. I'm just saying that if 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 you're if you're willing to criticize the movie for something, to me, that's where that's where the criticism needs to be because there that did lead to, in my opinion, a lot of a lot of moments where um, people were probably put into serious jeopardy, serious harm um, because they were trusting you know, in an exorcism or in a, you know, in, or, or thinking that a real sickness was a demon or something like that. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, not to, you know, I mean, even, the, and see, that's something that I think The Conjuring is a little worried about because the first thing that happens in The Conjuring is they point out that, like, you know, 80% of their stuff isn't, isn't really demons, you know. It's like right off the bat, they're like, we don't want to get sued. So, you know, that's, that's where they're at. And I just don't think Friedkin was too concerned about that because, that's a, that's a hard thing to predict. Mm. Sure, sure, yeah, um, it totally is. Yeah, you bring up a lot of great points. Um, I've always, I've always thought that um, <laughs> the era of the satanic panic was one of, uh, it was just a really interesting period of time in a sociological sense, just to see how different people and communities. Uh, we're just kind of obsessed um, with trying to pin some kind of <laughs> some kind of spiritual scapegoat for kind of what they perceive to be kind of the um, ethical deterioration um, of American society. Um, I think that's a really interesting era. A lot of wild, wild stuff came out of that era. Um, but I'm not. It's interesting to talk about kind of. Um, obviously, the portrayal of religion um, in The Exorcist, um, but also the portrayal of science um, as well. Um, as somebody myself, um, I have a graduate degree um, in psychology. Um, I currently work um, in medical research. Um, so so I like to consider myself pretty well versed in kind of um, how science works. Um, one thing I always thought was interesting um, even when I first watched this at an age that I probably should not have watched it at, but um, I thought it was interesting I how much there's a prop break. <laughs> exactly um, how much time Friedkin spent um, I mean Blatty as well for that matter in the book and this horse material how much time they spent um, trying to exhaust the scientific side of explanations. Um, you see Reagan go through all kinds of scientific tests, um, talk to all kinds of professionals and doctors and things like that. Even the first priest they initially turned to um, operates as a counselor. Um, mm-hmm. So even that is kind of um, shows the balance of science and religion within the subtext of the film. Um it's interesting to think about what kind of influence it had as far as mental health went, because it's kind of hard to pin any one thing down. You definitely have the religious 
um, spiritual side of it, of pinning it on, you know, it's the presence of a demon, it's because of demonic possession, things like that. Um, but you also have to consider, you know, 1973, um, the science of psychiatry was not particularly advanced by 1973. Um, I mean, less than a decade earlier than this, you had you had Freud still arguing to to throw any lady into an insane asylum if she was sad. I mean, you <laughs> I mean, you really have some really rough theories going around. Have some pretty rough practices as well. Um, I encourage anybody, um, if you're interested in kind of the development and history of early psychiatry, uh, to look into the experiments and treatments that went into kind of the foundation of conversion therapy and aversion therapy. Um, some really um, just insane bastardizations of the school of behaviorism that came out of the 50s and 60s. Um, but um, yeah, it's hard to really pin down because psychiatry was in such a weird, unrefined state, even at that point, that um, sure, when you talk about responsibility, um, sure, what this film did in terms of tying psychiatric issues to a potentially spiritual area is definitely worth considering and talking about. But you also have to consider the fact that Friedkin, who who wasn't even a psychiatrist <laughs> or a psychological professional in any context, you know, the science that he was working with of the day anyway uh, was not especially refined and was honestly really a dark time um, for the development of psychiatry as a field. But um, no, it's a really it's a really interesting um, uh, kind of question to talk about. Um, so um, so. Um, um, your answer is kind of a good segue into the next question, which is, um, when you think about, um, you've talked about this to a certain point, when you think about what goes on in The Exorcist and the depictions of demons and exorcisms and how the clergy respond to it and care for their congregations in that context, um, obviously your background is not in specifically Catholicism, um, but as somebody who's in kind of an adjacent field with uh, um, a Protestant background, um, what can you say as far as the accuracy of what's depicted in The Exorcist, as far as how how demonic issues are handled within the church? Um, how does it kind of track with uh, Christianity's real understanding of what demons are, how they act, and how possession um, really um, shows itself, uh, if it does. That's a that's a difficult question, and here and here here. Well, okay, it it, it is and it isn't. Here here's here's why it's a difficult question, or why it's not. Um, the easy answer is it's not accurate at all. I mean that, sure. or, or or at least in my in, in in my once again, you know, my understanding is is biblical and then theological which what i mean by that is like you've got the bible and then you have theological teachings on the things of the bible years after okay so my my where i'm coming from is bible first theology second okay with catholicism and I, this it, this is going to say it, it's not an insult catholicism works kind of backwards on that so like there's even a moment where um damien like where with when, when 
Miss McNeil comes up to to Damien and is like, you know, can you do an exorcism? And he's like, well, you'd have to go. I'd have to find somebody in the 1600s to do it. And the reason he says that is because Catholic theology is is a pretty much a consistently evolving thing from the Magna Carta on. And so mm-hmm. you talk about 73 being a dark era for um, like psychology. 73 is a weird kind of a weird area for the Catholic Church because they're still dealing with ramifications of things like Vatican II, where they're actually accepting things like having a psychiatrist at a school, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is something they wouldn't have had before. You see what I'm saying? Sure. Um, so like, so, so there's, there's, there's issues right there. Now, here's how I'm going to answer the question. Okay. My understanding of demons um, is, is a couple things. One, I don't give a whole lot of, of respect to demons as far as their ability to possess people or their ability to um, influence people um, to do horrific things, okay? Um, so like, you know, Amityville Horror, you know, things like that. I just don't get it because to me, that is not, that, that, that's a one-off. There's, there's this excellent moment and like, it's, and they, the priest doesn't answer it. He answers it badly. But we're like, you know, Harris, uh, Damien asks ask Maren, like, why this girl? And he's like, you know, well, to, you know, to make us despair, to make us believe God doesn't love us. And I'm sitting there going, you know, it, fine, but like, you're only going to do that to like six people. You know, I mean, like, I'm, I'm just like, you know, if, if, if this is the plan, you know, I mean, if, if this is the plan of the demon, you know, like, and look, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, discount what Reagan goes through here, but like, if this is the plan of the demon, it's one that has a very short, it's short-sighted, right? So like, for me, the, my, my, my favorite example of, of demonic influence is from C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Bladers, um, which if you've known me for a while, you that's not a shock that I would go to C.S. Lewis. Sure. But for C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, he, they're very, it, the concept of it is that demons exist to influence actions, but they cannot force you into actions. And they're, for C.S. Lewis, if there are demons, they're going to be a little more uh, manipulative than just, I'm going to, you know, uh, possess this girl you know, and make her do all this lewd stuff. And like, and, and so like, once again, I, I don't want to turn this into a, like a, a political podcast, but you tell me what, what you think is a more demonic concept. Okay. Is it a, someone possessing one person where they commit a horrific act and then it just happens and then it's over and we might talk about it a little later. Or is it the fact that like evangelicals in America, 72% of them, According to Jesus and John Wayne, 70% of evangelicals in America don't believe we could accept any refugees from any other country. When Jesus was a refugee, when David was a refugee, you know, where there's like, there's entire books, like every single minor prophet mentioned accepting the refugee. Which one of those do you think is more, is, is more powerful if you, if you believe in demons? You know, to me, it's the second one because it's someone literally shrouding you know, an opinion that the Bible has on a subject that we're supposed to go by and saying like, and for, and, and helping people to interpret their own concepts and using their own prejudices and stuff like that. That's the type of demon that scares me. 
this type of demon is like it, it, it's such a short-sighted goal because I don't understand what it's supposed to do beyond this. And that's where I find with 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 most with most demonology, you know, movies that deal with demonology, is I tend to leave them thinking like, well, you know, like if, if the person that showed up, what was the plan after? Because like let, let's let's say let's say none of the extras shows up in this movie, and so like Reagan just dies. So so what? So like what what happens? You know, Ellen Burson's already not a believer. Her character's not a believer. We learned that early on. So like, what's the what was the goal after that? And that's the thing these movies never really answer. And also, that's the thing that people who take this as a the, as a theological truth never answer. So you know, okay, the demons the, the demon has possessed somebody. Well, what's the goal of it? Well, to make us not believe. Well, all four of us, you know, like I mean, to me that that's that's the question that that I always have to ask because once again within the Bible, if you look at what the demons do. You know, it's things like taking Jesus up to the mountain and saying, you know, like if you cast yourself down, you know, someone, you know, they someone will catch you, you know, or taking Jesus and saying, hey, look at the entire earth. I can give you all this. You know, that's the concept of demonology in the Bible. That's not what's happening in the exorcist. It's just horrific stuff happening over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it just really it. it and, and that's and I'm kind of and that's what I mean when I kind, when I'm kind of disdainful of it, because. You know, like I have, I've, you know, I I was only a pastor for five years and I had several experiences where people would come to me and tell me that like, you know, they had seen demons or that, you know, they they didn't let somebody do something because of demons, you know, or like, you know, you know, the, you know, can't, can't, you know, are you sure about Pokemon, Josh? Because I heard there's ghost type demons in it. There are ghost type Pokemon in it, and they're demons, you know. And just like it's like you know, like real, like really, you know. And and and, and you know, to me, the the fact is, is like when you're dealing with that kind of concept, when when what it does is it gives it gives American Christians this kind of, you know, you know, this almost like, you know, Billy badass kind of concept of like I'm I'm. I'm coming against demons, you know, I'm, I'm fighting demons, you know, and everything like that. And, and that's, that's what your theology becomes about. And it becomes more about that and less about, you know, you know, I mean, doing, doing the basic things that Jesus did, which was, you know, caring for the poor, you know, being there for the alien, you know, being there for those that are, that are in need, you know, no, you don't have time for that because you're always fighting demons and seeing demons everywhere. You know, and so like to me, and so so when you ask me to get back to your original question, if you're asking me and in my experiences how accurate this is, there's no accuracy to it at all. There just isn't because this is not this is not how you know, if, if, if you if you believe in a Satan figure, this is not how he works in the Bible. It just isn't. Gotcha. No, no. As I mean. As in four. By the way, you're, 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 since you're asking the questions and producing this, you can figure out what we need to cut out of that if you want to. Okay. No, no, I like, I like all of it. I was about to say, as, as informed and as, and as, as spicy as ever, um, Josh, <laughs> um, Josh Hardesty, the wise sage. No, no, I think that's great. Um, I think that's a great answer. Um, it's really interesting. I kind of wish. Um, um, I'm not really um, in contact um, with any um, trained Catholic priests um, now, 
Um, and that isn't a joke because I actually used to be, <laughs> because I actually used to have one who I talked to. But um, I kind of wish um, I was t- to kind of ask um, them about it and get kind of on the Catholic interpretation perspective on it as well, because the film is kind of set within, um, within the theology and, and somewhat the practices of the Catholic church for sure there was it, it is but but i'll even even so uh, up to that point up to that point there had been maybe five recorded exorcisms you know mm-hmm. i mean post post you know post uh i mean post america there mm-hmm. may have been five of them and and like most of them are not most of them the catholics are like em- embarrassed about so like every most most of the Catholic priests I've met when this comes up, because let me tell you something, Catholic priests are tired of, of talking about it too. And when it comes up, most of the time what they'll tell you is that there, it's a very small practice, you know, that happens within the Catholic church. It's still there, but it's an extremely small practice, you know, and it's, it's very, it's very rare that it ever, that, that, that it ever even comes out to play. It, it's why, it's why you, I mean, cause like if, if it did happen more often, you'd hear about it. Right. You know, so, like if, so if there was actually Catholic exorcists running around casting out demons, you'd know about it, particularly in, in this day and age. So it's a really very small kind of thing. And it's also like to this point, you know, I think, I think most, most people within the Catholic church, are a little worried, like, once again, like we've already discussed, a little worried about thinking, like, am I going to get in the way of a of a valid medical issue here? You know, yeah. and is that a thing that's going to happen? Uh, and rightfully so, they should be worried about that. Um, you know, and so, like, that, I think, I, I, once again, I, I can't speak, obviously, for, for, for Catholics, but, like, but I think that's probably what they would tell you, because they're just such a small grouping of of events to to pull from to even discuss this as a as a really a valid practice sure yeah um i know (laughs) to your point i know um that there was a film several years ago gosh probably over um a decade ago now um i believe it was called the last right uh with anthony hopkins and the entire premise of the film is that um, the Vatican is is hosting uh, basically an exorcism class because they realize, hey, we only have like th- three guys left who even know how to do the right. right. <laughs> um, yeah. um, exactly. And that isn't is particularly a great horror film. Um, it does have Anthony Hopkins in there just um, just having fun, which is always enjoyable to see. But um, but <laughs> to your point, it's it's the lack of that kind of training and phenomenon is so big that there um, was even a film made about the lack thereof, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've always found it, especially as I've gotten older, as I've worked in in psychiatry and community mental health, as I've taken several classes on, on, um, on psychiatric disorders and forensic psych and things like that, I've always found it so interesting that the Christians who do kind of buy into this kind of satanic panic version of tying the devil to everything uh, or tying demons to everything, it's always, it struck me as interesting because a lot of what they want to attribute to this spiritual influence 
um, is real. It's things we already have. Um, you know, you have people who, who, you know, you wonder like, you know, how come this person is screaming obscene things or, or convulsing or having fits and things like that. And it's just like, well, they, I mean, that isn't a demon. That's like, <laughs> you know, that's probably a case of schizophrenia. <laughs> or, or some other kind of psychosis. Um, you have this idea that, you know, these horrible things happen to people because, you know, they were possessed and the devil made them do it and demons just want to commit as much human suffering as possible. And I'm just like, okay, well, we already have that too. I mean, that's that's your average serial killer. I mean, yeah. I mean, these things that people are so quick to assign to some some spooky spiritual entity that we're powerless to. Um, um, I wonder if some of that is just fear about the fact that, you know, those horrific things have very human explanations behind them. Um, that's always, well, I think, for, forgive me, but I think part of it as well is like, if you can't, there, there, there's a certain comfort in blaming things on demons i think because there's because there's just there's a comfort there's there's two there's two ways of comfort one um it gives you this kind of feeling of control over the situation right because like you know if if, if it's a demon you know then eventually god's going to cast it out so someone's going to deal with it so it gives you control on that but their way it comforts you also and a lot of time with this with demons that where you know someone has a demon or whatever you know or someone tells me that Another way it comforts you is like demons allow us, you know, if, if we want to blame everything on demons, what that does is it allows us to not deal with everyday issues in the world. I mean, that's what it does. It, it allows us to, it allows us to ignore, you know, things like, so, so like, you know, when, you know, when, when, you know, uh, it, 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 it allows us to, to say to an extent, and I mean, you know, you're going to think this is extreme, but it's not. I know you've met people like this. We've all met people like this. It allows us to say, like, well, probably don't need to use as much federal funding on mental health programs because, you know, some of that might be demonology anyway, you know. Mm, and sure. it, it allows us to do that. And it's, instead of dealing with actual problems, it allows us to play in this playground where we're constantly at, you know, in a fight with, with demonic forces. And instead of dealing with our own issues, it allows us to, you know, have these in my opinion, once again, I have to keep saying that trigger warning, I guess. But in my opinion, it allows us to go into these make believe lands and have these fights instead of dealing with actual issues. Because I mean, I, I mean, yeah, we'll talk about dark ages, man. I mean, like Christians across the world still haven't dealt with what to do with mental health. You know, what what do we do with that? You know, we Christians across the world haven't dealt with that. That's not and not Protestant, Catholic, Greek Orthodox, wherever you're at. Christians across the world haven't dealt with how to deal with that. And, and that's, that, that's a big problem, you know, and, and it, and when you can shove it into, well, you know, it's a demon, you know, then you figured it out and you don't have to worry about it anymore. And you don't have to study about it anymore. You don't have to figure out how to minister to it anymore. That that's where that, that is, that that's, that's the issue in my opinion with, 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 with getting so involved in all this. Forgive me. I didn't mean to jump in on you. No, 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 I agree. No, you bring up a lot of points, um, a lot of excellent points, for sure. Um, now, as we're kind of winding um, down on this episode, um, I do have a couple more things to ask you. 
um, one that kind of gets to the heart, I think, of what The Exorcist is, um, and one that's kind of a playful topic on on the history of the horror industry and where the horror industry is at and where it could go um, in the future. But um, first, I do want to get really to the real meat and potatoes of of the narrative um, within The Exorcist. Um, everything so far has been kind of like, you know, you know, you've had some soup, you've had some appetizers, you know, you've had some odors, if you're, <laughs> you know, a prick and say that word. Um, what, what, in your opinion, Josh, as somebody who's who's seen the movie um, a handful of times, who um, has a reputation for thinking about things in, in a narrative sense, in a big picture sense, um, considering the ramifications of different plot lines and character actions and things like that. Um, what do you think, at its core, The Exorcist is trying to say about religion and horror? <laughs> um, I, okay. Well, here, here's the thing, okay? So I've seen, I've seen two versions of this movie, all right? So I've seen the movie... You know, when, when I first saw the movie, the version you had never seen ha- had not been out yet. You know, which right. is probably which is probably the version of the movie that most people are acquainted with. Uh, but that version omits a lot of things. And that version of the movie, in my opinion, not real keen on faith. Uh, not real. Not real. Um doesn't have a whole lot of confidence i would say in 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 faith or in goodness in general um because a lot of it in the in, in the in the original version of the movie um you know particularly the ending uh the 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 ending after the confrontation is very different where you know she leaves there's a uh reagan reagan does you know uh, still kiss father dyer on the cheek um, but like, you know, they, as they leave Father Dyer's kind of looking and it's kind of this sense of like, you know, they've been through this horrific thing. Are they ever going to get over it? That kind of thing. There, there's that sense. And like, you know, Father Dyer looks at the stairs and then just, you know, it kind of ends. And then the ending in the new movie has this whole, or new, not new movie, but the new ending has mm-hmm. this whole thing where Lee J. Cobb's character, I can't remember his name, but the inspector and Father Dyer, you know, kind of they're going to go to a movie together and, you know, and, you know, goodness is still exists and it's going to go on. And like, they have this thing where like, uh, he gives her the, the, uh, the pendant, uh, that, uh, Harris had. And, and it's like, you know, maybe you should keep that, you know? So like, you know, you know, as I mean, as, at my, I, I view it as a talisman of faith, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, you, you know, I'm like, and so I really do wonder if Friedkin did this first movie and was like, I might have made this thing a little too depressing because this this I mean in all honesty I mean Al this this is a depressing movie. Sure. This movie doesn't really you know th- this is this is the movie where horror stopped being fun. You know, before this, you know, like I mean you get I, I know some somebody's going to go in there like Last House on the Left came out in 1972. Yeah, shut up. I get that. But what I'm saying is like <laughs> is that this was a movie, the mainstream movie where horror stopped being fun because before this your slasher flicks are all built around this moment of just like, 
you know, going and, you know, the guy takes his girlfriend and, you know, the girlfriend gets scared and that kind of thing, you know, and just they, they kind of laugh about it, you know, and that that's how that's how the 50s and 60s ha- slasher flicks. They're all built around that. And you get this movie and it's like, well, Damien's mother has an edema and that she's got to be put into the old folks home. And like, it's just like, you know, they go, there's an extremely depressing scene where, you know, he walks in with his collar. And so you have all of these women who's, I mean, you know, in Georgetown, their only sense of like any type of, you know, ability to, you know, to remember anything. They remember what a collar is and they remember the father and okay, the priest is going to help us. You know, you have that scene. It's just depressing. You know, and like you have Reagan going through all these tests. I mean, it's a very depressing movie. And then your your main character kills himself, you know, with the demon and gets in the original movie. A, uh, I don't remember. I, I don't remember if it's in the original and, and in the new one. But I remember in the original movie thinking like there's a sense of like, well, he sacrificed himself and, you know, has you know, has with the demon in him and is just going to be tormented forever. And then in, I, I don't, I don't know if the last right scene is in the original movie, but in this one, of course you get the last right scene and everything to kind mm. of cover it up. Um, and so like, when you ask me what it's saying, like, I don't, I think it, it's, it's view on faith. I think kind of has evolved because in the original movie, I think it's view on faith is really not, I don't think it has a high view of it, you know? I mean, you, you basically, you know, you have this moment, you have this demon who's got all this power and literally the only thing the ca- the Catholic church can do about it is to send a guy who is ready to leave the church himself and an 80 year old man who is, who is taking heart pills. And that's who you send against the demon, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not set up as like a, like, like, it, like other movies would set that up as like a, like a plucky David and Goliath kind of thing. It's not set up that way in this movie. This movie, you know, there's no sense at any point, and you might you might disagree with me on this, but there's no sense at any point where you get the idea that Marin and Harris are in control of the situation at all. There's no sense in my I can't I can't remember one except when Harris throws himself out the window. But other than that, it's it's all. You know, I mean, it, it's all, uh, all all devil all day long, and, and that's who has the power. And so as far as what it's trying to say, I mean, I think there is, you know, I, I think you'd have to dig deep to find some type of moral to it. But I do, but, you know, and, and like you got, what's great is, I, I don't know how much like weird information you know about The Exorcist, but one of my favorite trivia points about The Exorcist is how William Freakin would would continually bring in priests to pray over the set, you know, because of how like intense this got. And, and of course you obviously know about the Exodus curse. I mean, Linda Blair, you know, I mean, she got scoliosis from the thing that was making her jump, uh, go up and down on the bed. Ellen Burstyn broke her back, uh, from the fall she takes, uh, when, uh, Reagan hits her, you know, I mean, you've got all these instances you've got, you haven't, and honest to goodness, serial killers in the movie as one of the people that is uh, helping uh, uh, perform the arteriogram. Um, so I mean, you've got all you've got all these you have all these like curses in this movie, and like freaking would bring in priests to like bless everything, and so like it, it's weird. Like I I, I I feel like I'm not answering anything because I don't know if I have an answer, Al. Because like it's because like you've got like you, and and on one instance you have a a respect for the Catholic Church. 
Okay. You have a respect, you know, for what it means, um, you know, and like at, at viewed at, viewed as a force of good. Okay. I mean, definitely. I mean, there's no, there's no like, like you, you, you never sense that Harris or Marin are, are bad people or Dyer is a bad person. Like you never sense that the Catholics are bad or, or like anything other than just good. So you, it's presented that way, but they're also presented in a lot of ways as like not able to deal with the situation. Um, and so to me, you know, I, I do think there's a sense of almost like, you know, the movie, I think one of the reasons the movie is sticks in your mind so much is that when you watch this movie, there's just, you know, th this movie leaves you in some ways with a level of hopelessness because you come out of this thing going, man, they got lucky on that one, you know? And with a lot of horror movies before this, of course, you have, you know, they always, they get the killer, the killer kills himself or something like that. That's not the case of this. You know, you, you leave this thing going, you know, this, this demon was allowed to torment this little girl, you know, for several days and probably would have been able to do so until she died, uh, if not for a lucky break. And there's no, and, and, and what's interesting, here's, here's the biggest thing about this movie. This is the last thing I'll say, Al, I know, I know I've rambled on, but here's, mm -hmm. this is the biggest thing about this movie. And the thing that I think bothers me the most theologically from it is God does not appear. This is a movie mm -hmm. where there is a, there is a, there is a demon and there is a devil, but there's, God is not there. And I don't know, and there's, there's nothing telling us where he is. And so, like, you know, that that's 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 what bothers me, and that's why I think it has a very weak view of faith, you know. And I, that's why I, that's the reason why you know I wanted to contrast with the Conjuring because I think the Conjuring has an as an opposite view, really, of with what they're doing. Um, you know, what? Yeah, I mean, liars that they are and all that. But I'm just saying, like, there's an opposite view of how they view faith as opposed to what's happening here because the end of this movie. Harris and Marin just get lucky, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a it's a very good analysis of it. Um, I think you're, I think you're also really right on right on key um, when you talk about kind of the turn horror took after The Exorcist. Um, so the way I've always kind of thought about how it handles religion and horror and kind of uh, one of the things that could be taken away from the narrative in The Exorcist is that, you know, it's kind of a genius approach to the idea of fear and the idea of horror because kind of prior to this, um, a lot of horror was based on, oh, what if we what if we interject a scary or anxiety-inducing thing into people's lives, right? It was the introduction of a of a fear stimulus, if you will, to use my um, <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars <laughs> worth of psychology <laughs> degrees. Somewhere, man, but use it here. Yeah, it, um, uh, it kind of introduces a fear stimulus for people to react to, right? What Friedkin did and what uh, Blatty did as well with um, the novel, um, as well as the screenplay for the movie, is that it took a different approach. And it took a different approach with a really 
sacred thing for a lot of people is instead of saying, what if we interject something into these people's lives, which in a way they do, obviously the presence, the appearance of a demon is definitely an interjection of a fear stimulus. But their main focus, what I took away from it was, what if we take something away, right? What if we take away something that people find supportive or find to be a source of hope or comfort? And a lot of that is, what if we take away kind of the power of faith? What if we take away the support and the comfort that religion usually offers people? Um, because I think you're entirely right, especially with the original ending. Um, the Exorcist is a story of, of when two Christians lose. Like, like, I mean, obviously, you know, the demon's gone. And as as tangible of a way you can think of a demon being gone. Um, but I mean, in the process, you lose two priests. Um, Reagan doesn't, apparently doesn't remember anything from the possession, which I guess is the one comfort in the ending. Um, I mean, this is something I don't see talked about in the ending of The Exorcist, but Reagan's mom has to live with what happened to her daughter like <laughs> this is this is a shaping event on the psyche and the overall character and belief system of her mom like her mom is never going to be able to see her daughter without thinking of how possessed and awful it was right um and so we have these you know, we have we have the Catholic Church just taking L after L in this in this narrative, um, and I think it's really um, as concerning and shocking as it can be for a lot of people in the church. I think on Freakin's part, it was really really genius to take a totally different approach, and I think it definitely changed the industry because, as I said before, um, probably the next really significant and really influential. Um, horror film you get after this is probably the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And Texas Chainsaw is not a hopeful film at all. Um, the history of slashers that come out afterwards is not a hopeful film at all. Probably the next really positive ending out of a horror film you get is probably from the Poltergeist. Um but it definitely shows a shift in direction where it focuses more on loss. It focuses more on hopelessness. And uh, this really came to mind uh, when I was preparing for the podcast this week. Um, I watched the original Halloween, which I watch every year. Um, I watched the original Halloween with some friends. And the thing that stuck out most to me was towards the end of the movie when Dr. Loomis goes to check on where... Michael fell off the balcony and Michael's gone. And before the doctor even makes it back to where Jamie Lee Curtis is, um, her character just knows that he's gone. And her character is distraught and hopeless at that point. Um, incredible acting performance by Jamie Lee Curtis on that. 
But I mean, for me, that's the takeaway from this film. That's the takeaway as far as the narrative goes and as far as the influence on the industry goes. I don't think you get the same trajectory of horror that we've had if you don't get this kind of um, very dark um, ending of The Exorcist. Um, Now, to close tonight, um, this has been one of the... this has been one of the most enjoyable hours I've ever spent. This has been great. I love talking <laughs> about this stuff. Um, after, after that very dark and dour exchange we just had. Yeah. About well, we've had I tell you, we, 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 but bunch, bunch of party animals we are, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's, it's Halloween, baby. Let's, let's do it. Um, now, I do want to share some trivia with you real quick that I found. This fascinated me. I was unaware of this fact. And then I want to use that as kind of a lead-in to the final... Um, fun kind of thought exercise we're going to do. Now, um, The Exorcist, wildly um, successful, both in an influential sense, but also in how it performed at the box office. Um, For a while, The Exorcist was the top-grossing R-rated horror film. Um, It was finally dethroned from that title. It's still number two. But for a while, top grossing R-rated horror film. Um, Josh, do you know what film um, finally outpaced it? Pretty sure Deadpool beat it, right? Deadpool isn't a horror film. Oh, horror film, horror film. I guess depending on your perspective on the character, it could be. Yeah, yeah. At least a top grossing R-rated film. Horror film, R-rated film. I read horror film. Would it be Silence of the Lambs? Uh, it is not Silence of the Lambs. So, well, what beat it? So the I'm Exorcist. Intrigued. So the Exorcist had this record for. Let me check my math. For about forty-four years. Okay, so 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 give me the year. Give me the year. Um, two thousand seventeen. Get out. Um, no. Um, really? The one oh. that fi- one that finally beat it was the first remake of Stephen King's It, It Chapter One. Oh, that's embarrassing. We as <laughs> we as a society have embarrassed ourselves on that one, gentlemen. <laughs> so, um, that being said, I did not know about that until earlier today when I was researching yeah, the trivia to share. Um, that being said, that fact being out in the universe, um, it's chapter one, obviously a remake, um, of, um, an earlier film. Um, um, it shares something in common with the exorcist and that it was adapted originally from a book, but it is a remake of the original. It. We know the horror industry enjoys its remakes. It usually has some kind of wild period every seven to eight years where it tries to remake everything that's ever been done. Um, And there's been rumors circling about a possible Exorcist remake, either in the form of a film or in the form of a TV show. Do you think a remake of The Exorcist in 2022, 2023, do you think that would work? Do you think it'd be an effective horror film? Do you think someone could pull it off? 
There's only, well, my gut says no. Okay. I will also say this though. You do know there's an extra, there was an extra TV show of Gina Davis. You knew that, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Which, which was interesting. Uh, got rave reviews. Um, also really like destroy really really leans into the ending where and and i agree with this where like reagan remembers everything just doesn't want to tell her mother uh and like that's pretty much what the show deals with but uh, but anyway so there was that okay and and it came out and it got rave reviews and it failed miserably Mm -hmm. uh just no one wanted to watch it and that would be where i because like so we're conditioned now for the conjuring you know, we're conditioned now for these for these jump scare demon movies. Um, the Exorcist is not a jump scare demon movie. It mm-hmm. isn't. And so if it came out, if it came out, you know, in the next couple of years, <laughs> you're, you're going to laugh because, I mean, it's it's you're going to laugh because the only director I'd want to direct it, the only guy that could do it, in my opinion, uh, and and get the th- and get the theme right and it just this is my opinion is David Lynch that's the only guy that in my opinion that could pull this off okay. because once again the, the the concepts that idea of hopelessness that idea of you know it's not just fear okay it's 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 what comes after the fear mm-hmm. um, that's a David Lynch thing that's he does that burn anybody. Um, you know, if I have to plug a, an article written by a genius on, on the, uh, on the Phantom Correspondence website right now, mm-hmm. I'll go on and do it. There is an article about that written by a genius on the Phantom Correspondence website. But, but even, but what I'm saying is like, you need someone in that. I mean, gosh, I mean, can you imagine like if James Wan got a hold of this? I mean, I like James Wan, but oh my Lord, you know, like, I mean, can you imagine, <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, uh, you know, and, 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 and that's what would happen. It'd, it'd be you know, they, they or or worse worst case scenario, and, and I guarantee, like if 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 the Exorcist, if someone rewrote a script for the Exorcist and got it in, got it out there, and there was like a bidding war, and they were trying to figure out who was directed, you know, darn good and well, Zack Snyder would throw his name into that ring, and you <laughs> know he won. And that's like, it. and I mean, that's the problem is that. In 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 twenty twenty two and twenty three, we've gotten into this into this instance where uh, moving forward, there's there's two types of movies. There's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and then the people trying the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and then there's all these auteur directors that are mm-hmm. doing these high end movies and trying to be you know high fluting about it. Which The Exorcist is a high end high fluting movie. Sure. But the problem is that William Friedkin was not. Uh, he, he did not view himself as an auteur director. You know, he didn't view himself as that guy. And that's one of the reasons why the movie works so well is because, you know, you give this thing to Kubrick or Francis Ford Coppola, you know, they're going to try and tell you about the dangers of violence in the world or something through this movie. And to your point, this movie doesn't need that. This movie, all this movie needs to be effective is this concept of hopelessness at the end of it. And I'm not totally sure there's anyone that I can think of right now that could pull that off um, in this day and age. You know, I, I'm, I'm blurry about remakes in general, you know. Uh, yeah, you know. I can, you know what the worst, I'm going to tell you right now, the worst case scenario, worst possible person I could give this to 
is Rob Zombie. I, I was yeah. waiting for you to say something about Rob Zombie. You knew it was coming. Like, you know, if, if, if Al's going to bash Conjuring, Josh is going to bash Rob Zombie. That's the worst possible scenario. That is the nightmare, the world is ending scenario right there. I don't know. I mean, can you think of somebody that could pull it off? Uh, well, yeah, so that's the thing. I think I think that um, this is going to sound like um, a pretentious opinion about horror films now, which I don't think it is because I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing, uh, what I'm about to say. I think that the use of subtlety in horror right now um, I'm not going to say it's a lost art because there are directors who who are very good um, at using subtlety in horror films, but I think it's not an approach taken very often anymore. I think horror is more about, um, as you were saying, it's more about jump scares. It's more about trying to go viral with um, shock value or or in your face scariness and things like that. Um, think about the last five horror films um everybody at home think about the last five horror films you've even heard people talking about um a majority of them are gonna be ones that focus on jump scares focus on in your face kind of ways to frighten you um again i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if anything right now i think the horror industry is prime right now to try some either remakes or rebooted sequels um of a lot of these Asher films that came out. Um, Halloween, this is the best Halloween timeline we've ever had. Um, it, just, it just is. Um, I would love to see, you know, um, um, I think a remake of Nightmare on Elm Street could potentially work. Um, Friday the 13th, the rights to that franchise has been in the news because I think the court hearing finally reached some kind of some kind of tangible ruling about that and who those rights belong to. Um, uh, I think the more in your face stuff, like I would love, you know what? I'm putting this out into the universe right now. I would love to see a modern remake of Phantasm. I think this is, I think the industry is ripe for that kind of weird in your face stuff that (laughs) that Phantasm has to offer. Um, but as far as using subtlety, and I think I think The Exorcist does thrive on subtext and subtlety in a lot of the story it tells. You know, if I have to think of a horror director who actually uses that in his films and his narratives, um, the only one that really comes to mind is probably Jordan Peele. Um, I know that name might confuse some people because I've seen people say that it out and us is very in your face and heavy handed. Um, and then they'll go to describe what the movie's about. And I realize they didn't get the point of get out or us um, at all. <laughs> um, but he's really the only name that really comes to mind um, as far as being able to work the subtlety and the subtext as effectively um as the original was but um that's where i'm at on it uh i don't i'm gonna gonna give you one more name out i'm gonna give you one more name just to make you angry 
just to make you angry. But here's the thing: anyone's listening to this, Ari Aster, exactly. And the only reason, <laughs> the only reason I say that is because, um, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I give Ari Aster a little more credit than you do. I think, I think he knows exactly what he's doing with his movies. But what I will say about Ari Aster is, particularly with Hereditary, Midsummer not as much, but with Hereditary. He's going for that exact same feel that Exorcist has. Like at the end of that, like he wants you to be depressed by the end of that movie, you know. And and he and you know he's he's gonna he's gonna put Tony Collette through the through the dang ringer to to make you feel depressed at the end of that movie. And so if if you were looking for because like you know I I I think one of the issues that that happens with Midsummer is like people. People leave that movie and are trying to, and I, I had myself included, and we're trying to like place a a point onto this movie beyond just cults are dangerous, and like that that concept is where that movie turned into something completely different, and they did the same thing with Hereditary, and people do, and as we have spent an hour and a half discussing now, people did the same thing with The Exorcist. And mm-hmm. so I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I, Gordon Pill doing that just sounds amazing to me. But, you know, I'm just I'm just throwing that name out there because if this if this is the one podcast that goes viral, we're going to have 400 people that are going to comment like Ari Aster, Ari Aster, because that that's the guy everyone's talking about now. And that and Hereditary is an exorcist style movie. It's not as good, but it is a I mean, that's what he's going for. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, it's. It's almost, it's almost kind of a, a trap question in some ways because when you think about horror directors nowadays, the three main names that usually come into the um, discussion are Jordan Peele, James Wan, and Ari Aster. Um, as we've already talked about, James Wan getting a hold of The Exorcist would be a disaster. Um, I like, I like a lot of what James Wan has done. Um, I'm not too big on some of his more recent stuff, but I like a lot of what he's done. Um, I don't think he's the right fit for Exorcist. Um, Jordan Peele would be interesting. Ari Aster, I'll give you um, some room on. I think you have struck a point with Hereditary. Um, the thing with Hereditary, if we're going to draw comparisons, I think Ari Aster would almost try to do a little bit too much with what's going on in The Exorcist. Absolutely. Because um, I think Hereditary had way too much stuff going on it by the end did. of it. But, um, yeah. But so did Midsummer. Yeah, so did Midsummer. But um, yeah, it's an interesting idea. Um, anybody out there who's listening, if you can think of a director who would do really well with the Exorcist remake, um, then holler at us. Holler at us on our on our various platforms and social media's at the Phantom Correspondence. I think is about um, uniform across the different platforms. Um, it doesn't even have to be a horror director. Um, it could be anybody. Um, I don't. I try not to think of horror as this really exclusive um, genre. Um, so it could be anybody, anybody who understands fear and, and suffering and those kinds of ideas. I think could be potentially a really great fit. Um, y'all, that is episode one of Horror Fest 2021 Fandom Talk podcast. A hundred years, Josh and Al. 
talking about stuff. <laughs> that's the title. That's going to be the title of the podcast. A <laughs> hundred years, a hundred things Josh now talk about. There we go. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Um, Josh, thank you so much for providing um, a lot of interesting insights, um, um, a lot of cool um, uh, thoughts and opinions on a bunch of different issues. There's a lot to talk about in The Exorcist. I'm honestly kind of impressed we got through it in only an hour and a half, if I'm being yeah. honest. Um, but thank you very much. Thank you, everybody who's listening. Um, hey, come check out some more of our stuff. I'm going to be doing some more podcasts with my compadre here. I'm going to be doing some videos for Horror Fest. Um, I'm not going to be doing as many articles this year. Um, I want to kind of diversify the mediums a little bit. Um, again, if you aren't into horror, that's okay. We're doing other stuff. Uh, we're doing some more Team and T podcasts. Josh and Jenny are doing the Challenge podcast, which are a blast. Um, and we recently had this really, really cool episode of Fandom Talk um, that our editor-in-chief, Jacob, took the lead on, where he got to interview the current creative team behind DC's Wonder Woman comics, um, as well as the upcoming um, Hat Girl series as well. Um, so we got to sit down and have a nice long chat with um, Hickey Clunan and Michael Conrad. Um, you may see their names come up in some Horror Fest stuff as well, but please check that interview out. Um, it's a ton of fun. I'll always support the uh, creative masters behind uh, your favorite stuff. But um, thank you very much for your time today. Um, it's going to be a great Halloween this year. And we will see you later on. Keep in mind, Phantom is for everyone, even fans of Ari Aster and Rob Zombie. So enjoy, everyone. <laughs>